television company at that point hadn't booked the theatre for enough days. And he was like, no, we'll get in on one day, we'll um, do rehearsals the next day, and then we'll put a live audience in front of it. And I was just like, no, no, that's not going to work. Like, we've got to focus lights and we've got to, like, do sound checks and, you know, we have to do a technical rehearsal and then we have to do a dress rehearsal. And he was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, that whole thing of, like, having an A plan, a B plan, a C plan, which, again, in the theatre, you don't really need other than perhaps an understudy um, or a, a manual winch if you're doing something that might fail technically. But, you know, outdoors, the challenges are so much greater in terms of the fact the weather, the wind can actually majorly affect that storytelling. And Everyone who comes to work for me, I teach them AutoCAD. Like, that's, you know... And they're just like, oh my God, I've wanted something like, I've wanted to learn this for years. And I'm like, well, I'm going to teach you how to do it. You know, because I believe that if we don't share the skills, if we don't encourage that next generation, why have I worked so hard to, to make an industry work if there's no one to come behind us and take it over? Rock and roll is still magic, like, but okay. <laughs> Are there any other similarities or differences that you see among different genres of the entertainment like events have like their own particularities or maybe well, large well, scale events. Yeah. Interestingly, you know, that my, like I said, I, I always wanted to work in television. And then of course I was like, why do I want to do that? And actually even live television isn't that live. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it, they have the facility to edit it, you know, and, and change it. So I think for me, you know, the adrenaline of something live is way more exciting than something that's pre-recorded i mean again you know i love i love it when there's a television broadcasting included in what i'm doing if they're recording a concert or um you know i do a big cultural event here in wales which is filmed by a television company every every year and broadcast uh, throughout the process and again you know the camera focuses in on something quite specific and, you know, so again, there's a, there's a fair bit of detail there, but it's the neatness. It's when they pull out and do that wide shot and you're just like, oh my God, there's cables. Oh, you can see cables. Oh my goodness, that's awful. <laughs> you know, that sort of like, so it's always good to look in the gallery. And the same on CBBS. like, you know, we spend loads of time because that's a theatre show that we put on stage using the sort of television personalities and then the channel record it and it becomes a television broadcast. And they edit it so they can get shots of the kids in the audience and all that jazz. But of course, it's always the cross shot that they end up picking up on. And of course, it goes into the wings, you know, where we've just got the black legs hanging. So there's always tons of dressing that has to go on the wings because the audience in a theatre is looking at it front on, whereas the camera is obviously cutting different angles. So suddenly, you, you know, the designer will be looking in the gallery on the screens going, oh, heck, there's blooming they can see behind that or we need to just dress that black leg in a little bit more you know so it's always been a real battle between what television want and what um what we're doing as a live show and the live audience is obviously having a slightly different experience to then what they'll see when the thing's edited on television and I, i'll never forget the first time we did the cbb show it was a real coming together of two worlds and the, these are really understood each other which is sort of how i got the gig because Someone said, oh, but Sarah understands how television and theatre works, so maybe we should get her on this project. So hence, my uh, I was involved in that. And th But in the first year, they had a floor manager, 
which is a television role, which is sort of like a stage manager, but they do a lot less. Um, anyway, the curtain came in for a scene change, cloth came in for a scene change. And this floor manager ran on and said to me, oh, well, I'm going to stop there and we'll just reset. I was like, get off this stage. We are not stopping. There is no danger. We are not stopping. <laughs> he, just wanted to, he just wanted to redo the scene for some reason. I don't know. But I said to him, get off. We're not stopping. And he was like, well, no, 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 but we always stop. I was like, we're doing a live theatre show. We're not going to stop. Go away. So anyway, <laughs> we off the stage. We got to the end. I said, look, we just do pickups. It's fine. We just do a pickup. It's no problem. Anyway. Next year, I kind of was amused because the floor manager didn't get invited back and they just decided that role wasn't necessary <laughs> because <laughs> his, his work, how you would work in television in a studio, obviously you do stop and start, whereas what we wanted to do was run a, a theatre show, which is why they record it two or three times and then they can edit it together. So, so that, you know, that's a, just a difference in process. And I think, um, you know, that's always interesting and, and it's, you know, the, the the television colleagues that I've worked with on many occasions from many different, you know, independent TV companies to the BBC to whoever, they have no understanding of what we do in theatre either. Do you know what I mean? The very first time I worked on CBeebies, I had to write a paper to explain what a technical rehearsal was, to address rehearsal, to obviously then the live show. Because in television, they're just constantly trapped in a world of technical they never get to a point of dress rehearsal because they can stop and start. So dress rehearsal to them is irrelevant because why would you have that? Because we don't, we can stop and then we just start again. And so I was like, and basically the television company at that point hadn't booked the theatre for enough days. And he was like, no, we'll get in on one day. We'll um, do rehearsals the next day and then we'll put a live audience in front of it. And I was just like, no, no. <laughs> that's not going to work. Like we've got to focus on lights and we've got to like do sound checks and, you know, we have to do a technical rehearsal and then we have to do a dress rehearsal. And he was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, so even within our own industry, we don't really understand what each other do. And of course, as soon as a television broadcast company come on board uh, for a live event, of course they want to put the cameras in the most inappropriate places possible, because of course they want to be directly facing the stage or they want to be you know right in the middle of where you've got audience and there's a whole load of regulations around you know floor space and structures in the middle of audience and and all that jazz so again you're just like I funny enough had that conversation the other day about something that we'll be working on this year where the guy was like and Sarah you know what's going to happen tv are going to rock up at the last minute and want to put the cameras where we can't put them or put them on the floor and start taking up capacity of the floor calculations. And I was like, yeah, that always happens. And they sort of, mm. I don't know whether it's like that in your country, but we, in this country, we always sort of take the mickey slightly that the TV sort of somehow think they're a little bit superior to everybody else um, and just behave in a way that somehow the rules don't apply to them. And if they just keep shouting or telling you over and over again they want to do this one thing then you will eventually make it happen so you know it's always that and you know they're, they're very upset their broadcast vehicles aren't quite as close to where they want them as you know you can physically put them and all that jazz but sort of makes me laugh but you know um but in, in when you work in television you always get fed which you don't always get fed in the theater so you know some perks to it i guess but uh but yeah i think you know, <laughs> you know in terms of that they always have catering which, in the theatre, we work ju just as hard, but we don't get fed by a lovely van that brings hot food to you every day. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's what's fun and what I particularly like about working across different genres and different forms of our industry is that 
every experience is slightly different and, and it's really interesting. And with the site-specific work, I've done some amazing site-specific projects and was lucky enough to work in Denmark on their um, uh, City of Culture opening and closing ceremonies. And, and that was really fascinating to take my work to another country where, um, you know, I'm very comfortable working in the UK and working in Wales. I know who everybody is. If I need something, I can just make a phone call. It's, you know, it's all good. But, you know, to take myself just as me to another country and make it happen was, um, you know, that was terrifying and brilliant all at the same time. I'd worked with the director of the opening before, which is how I ended up on that gig. But, you know, I remember being in one meeting and this, um, we had these big, um, beautiful lit Viking boats that were made from wood and canvas and, and lighting. And they were on big trolleys and we were sort of pushing them through the streets and they were absolutely beautiful. Um, and the director's vision at the end was that they would, I think he described it as they would be put onto the water and sail away. So the boats were sort of given to the water and sail away. Now, obviously a canvas boat on a large metal trolley, you know, these boats are about six meters long, is not going to float on the water. So this poor Danish lad, he'd been there, he'd listened to this information and he'd gone away and he'd been sourcing cranes and barges and all this kind of very expensive infrastructure. And I, I kind of arrived and I was like, okay, right. And I was like, so, so, but it's dark. You know, by the time we get to this quayside, it's going to be dark, you know, and he was like, and it's going to take about 35 minutes per boat. And I was like, no, 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 that's not going to work. We're literally st storytelling. So I said, what's the essence of what the director is trying to do? He was like, I don't know. He said he wants these boats on the water. And I was like, no, 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 it's dark. Think about it being dark. And he was like, Right. Uh, he said, I don't know. I said, I think it's just the lights leaving. That's all you're going to see of a, something moving on the water in the dark is just the lighting. And he was like, and I was like, so it doesn't need to be the canvas boats on the frames. It can just be a boat that's normally in the water with lights on it going out to sea. He was like that. I, like, oh my God. I <laughs> He's like, I was just taking it so literally. And I was like, I know, but it, that's not what the director's saying. It's like, listen to what he's saying and listen to the nuance of it and, and think about what that is visually. Because of course, when you're doing a big site specific outdoor event, a lot of the time there isn't a model box. There isn't, you, you probably get storyboards more than, you know, visual storyboards rather than a, a model box because you can't make a model of a big city or whatever you're going to be doing. So this lad, he hadn't really come from a creative background. And he just didn't, he just didn't see that, you know, I mean, why in a live show would you have 35 minutes per boat to load it onto a, um, a barge and a crane? I mean, it just wasn't going to be feasible, you know, or within the narrative time, you know? Um, so, uh, bless him. So we just dressed some boats in lights and achieved exactly the same thing. But I think that's what's brilliant when you get to work with different people and in different countries and, and just, you know, when you're storytelling on a site-specific show is you've suddenly got a lot more tools to play with. You've got a lot more things. You can use big things and, you know, you can use cranes and you can use boats and you can use cars and trucks. And, you know, there's so much more that you can bring to um, a, a space when it's outdoors. But it's the nuance of the storytelling that becomes important. And I've sat through many meetings uh, in the past where people 
you know, want to do something outdoors and then, but they, it's all about the text. And I'm like, mm, can't really be about the text if it's outdoors. You, you've got to visually tell that story as well. Otherwise people won't hear it because a plane might go overhead or a bird might do a block next to you. Or do you know what I mean? There's lots of things that will take the focus of someone when they're outside, uh, you know, if it's an outside site specific thing. So, so yeah, so I've, I think, you know, I get really caught up in the storytelling as well. I don't know how, how have I even got onto this bit of conversation? I don't know, but um, you know, when I'm doing site specific work, I think for me, uh, then the the thing I love about that is is the telling of the story and the and how you tell that story in such a big canvas, you know, in a you know in a massive space, or you know, or you've got you don't know, like back in 2011, uh, one of my um, highlights of my career, I suppose, was working on the Passion of Batolba with Michael Sheen, the actor who is from Batolba. Um, it's a very run-down industrial town here in South Wales. It's sort of not somewhere you'd ever go if you weren't actually from there, probably. It does have a lovely beach, but I don't think most people realise that. And Michael, despite the fact he's a Hollywood actor and, you know, works all over the world, and he's very fond of his hometown, and we did this big retelling of the passion story, the story of Christ over an Easter, using his hometown and literally every aspect of it, the people, the locations, you know, anything and everyone, the whole town was kind of bought in. There's only about 20,000 people live there. They all seem to want to be part of it. And, you know, we did it over three days and it was exhausting and it was magical and it was brilliant. And, you know, we started off with probably five or 6,000 people watching the first day. And by the time we got to the crucifixion on the Sunday, we had about 25,000 people there, which, uh, you know, they, they were just kept coming. I don't know where they came from. There was just hundreds of thousands. <laughs> but they just kept coming. Um, but it was amazing. And I remember the one day um, on the Sunday morning, I was kind of there in my high-vis vest, stopping some traffic on a road that hadn't really applied to stop the traffic on, uh, whilst we moved some scaffolding onto a roundabout to start building the crucifixion cross. And this guy ran down his window and I was like, oh, he's going to have a go at me now about stopping the traffic. And uh, he said to me, oh, I just want to say thank you. And I was like, what? And he was like, I just want to say thank you. He said, we're, I've just been and bought every newspaper. He said, we're on the front of every newspaper in the country, national newspapers. He was like, with a good news story, this town doesn't have good news stories. This is amazing. <laughs> and I was like, all oh, right, okay, thank you. Uh, well, I said, you to come. And he was like, yeah, I'll be here. And I was just like, oh my God, like, that was amazing. Do you know what I mean? It was just a conversation in a in a three days of like, oh my god, what are we doing? And literally, you know, we're taking over this town, and you know, constantly it was like a giant pop up book. You know, everything had to kind of be built and taken down, and built and taken down, and then we change it, and then we'd be in a different location. We had like 140 crew working on it, lots of whom were volunteers, lots of whom were people in training. Um, you know, we had. Uh, an old working men's club which is sort of like a social club as our base you know and I don't think they knew what was going on but the six or seven men who always came there for a beer every day would still come for their beer despite the fact there was actors changing <laughs> the car park was full of technical gear in the kind of main hall we had like the catering bit in the middle and then people changing all around us the wardrobe at the end I mean it was just chaos but it was also magical at the same time and you know, but just the impact on that town and people still talk about it now. And it's what, 13 years later, you know, it's, it just had such 
an impact. And also, I think in the UK, that show was also a show that really kind of transformed the notion of what site-specific theatre was at scale. And, you know, now we're in a world where, you know, immersive theatre and uh, immersive events are suddenly um, much more prevalent. Even I went to the West End um, back in September and, you know, every theatre now is trying to do a show where there's some pre-performance activity in the foyer. The foyer is also dressed, you know, I went to see the Moulin Rouge show and the whole auditorium is dressed. So even theatre is having to slightly redefine itself to try and compete with these other you know like secret cinema and other stuff we have in the uk where people are creating sort of different um places uh, to cut for people to come and experience um something the secret cinema is the idea that they, they they build a venue in a park and they recreate a movie so they've done um some of the james bond shows they've done dirty dancing so you don't really know if the performers an audience or performers and suddenly they'll all break into a scene from the film and you know and it's i think they're great fun i've um you know but uh again it's it's all about the sectors borrowing ideas from each other and just you know redefining the worlds to keep that audience member interested in what you're doing i'm definitely babbling on now but i'm taking myself into some lovely places so i don't mind <laughs> <laughs> but those are some amazing stories really like it it's interesting and i've i mean i don't think i ever really thought yes storytelling is important but i never even thought about we all read the scripts we all you know we all try to understand what the director wants to say or what the playwright if there is a script or as such or what the vision of the show is but um but maybe more for technical people, like really, like you're telling a story, someone else's story. How are you telling the story? And just get a little Absolutely. bit deeper into that part. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, and I think, I think with some people, you know, some people who are very techy, you know, they sort of, you know, they like the gadgets and the gizmos. But ultimately, everybody involved in an event or in the theater, whatever your role is, we are all responsible for the storytelling because that's what we're there to do. You know, we are part of that creative process. And, um, you know, I always encourage people working with me, you know, to, they might, you know, be quite shy and be like, oh, I think it might be better if we did that. Well, I'm like, well, let's say it, you know, and, you know, even on when we do some of the CBB stuff on stage, you know, and we're trying to create these little illusions, you know, that little bit of fishing wire that just pulls something up on a fly bar. So the camera's focusing on the thing that's moving, can't see the fishing wire. You know, you get um, my, one of the designers I work with always laughs because the the one year he had these like sheaths, like wheat sheaths um, upstage. And I said to him, well, how are we going to do those? They're going to look ridiculous. And he was like, oh, we'll use a scaffolding pole and we'll just wrap it in hessian or whatever and then have this wooden cutout thing out top of it. And really now. Anyway, I did what he asked, put them all in and did them. And of course, once they were lit, <laughs> the bike was in and it was all lit behind them. They looked blooming amazing. <laughs> he always says to me, doubted the wheat sheaves but they were actually very good and I was like yeah you're right I did <laughs> but you know so sometimes you can be pleasantly surprised you know and um and I think that at the outside stuff with the the you know the um site-specific work I mean in the UK we don't have the best weather unfortunately 
so de- you know even if you're doing something in the summer it's not always glorious um so you know that whole thing of like having an a plan a b plan a c plan which again in the theater you don't really need other than perhaps an understudy um or a, a manual winch if you're doing something that might fail technically but you know outdoors the challenges are so much greater in terms of the fact that weather, the wind can actually majorly affect that storytelling. And, you know, if you can't bring the boats in on the, the water because the water's too rough, you know, how do you start the show? That was one of the things in the passion. You know, we had all these little boats, inflatable boats landing on the shore. But if they couldn't do that because the waves were too big, how are we going to start that really sort of oppressive start to the show? You know. And it's about negotiating with the director and the designer and, and what's practicable. And, you know, that's what I love about produ- production managing those type of shows as well. You've, you've just got to have all these different options, you know, as, as to how you might deliver that moment. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Live podcast is proud to be sponsored by Clearcom. Clearcom is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of Clearcom Intercom Solutions. You can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M.com. Go check them out. And you do all this work through your own company, right, SD Productions? Uh, I do now. Do you yes, have any just... advice? For setting on a company and how is it to have your own company and produce? Yeah, sure. So I um so I set the company up in two thousand six, like I said, because um, you know, basically was earning too much as a sole trader and I just needed more people to help me, you know. But of course it's it's an interesting thing when you're one individual who then just expands and has more things around you because actually um what often happens is people want me, you know, because I'm the the reason they're coming to see productions, whereas I actually have a staff of seven people now, and we're just about to go up to nine going into 2024. So um, one thing that I've had to work very hard at is to find people to work with me uh, as sort of senior people in my company who my clients trust. And the way I found the most effective way of doing that is to actually train those people from... um, sort of scratch really so um uh, a woman who worked for me previously ruth um she came to me straight from welsh college she came and did the postgraduate welsh college very focused on wanting to work in events she came to work with me i sort of trained her she worked you know and she gained her skills and her confidence and then she was able to sort of head up projects herself um i now have a lad with me jake who again came as an intern on a site-specific show we were doing he was great. I was like, right, he's not getting awake. So I was like, right, Jake, would you like a job? Um, he then has come through and he's now a company director alongside me as, as, as Ruth was previous. And, and it's about, um, for me, it's about trying to create as much of a clone as possible in terms of just that knowledge and that, um, information. But there were, there are things you can't teach people. You can't teach people that confidence to go in a room and hold a room. I'm, very good at that. I'm probably a bit annoying about it as well, but I can walk in a room, I can chair a meeting, I can, I can hold people's attention. I can, I have that sort of innate confidence to do that. Whereas that's not some people's skill and you can't teach that as such. That's an instinct within a human that they can either do it or they can't. Uh, you know, Ruth and Jake both have that ability as well. But with my, with the company, what I've always been passionate about 
is that learning. You know, we have a lot of graduates come to us. We have um, uh, sometimes people who you know, just have an interest in their sector but don't know how to get their foot in the door. We interviewed a young woman yesterday who's sort of via a friend of a friend come to us. You know, she's not quite 18 yet, but she's thinking about her career, going to study, and she wants to work in events, going to study, and she's put herself forward, and we're hopefully going to give her a little placement on a show this summer. You know, and I love people like that. I love people who reach out. You know, this kid is, it's a bit spurious how she's got to us, but it's brilliant. She's found us, and she's looked at the website. She knows what we do. She's, you know, um, she's written to us. She's, she's, she's forged that link, you know. And for me in the company, it's, uh, you know, I'm all about giving people opportunity, particularly women. Um, we'll come on to that a bit more in a minute, but particularly women um, and just giving them an opportunity. And some people rise to that opportunity and some people we let go if, if they don't. I mean, running a company, the hardest thing about it is the other people because humans all have their own ideas and you know, sometimes which is fantastic and sometimes it's deeply irritating. So, uh, you know, it is hard. <laughs> When I worked at the Sherman Theatre years ago, um, you know, one of the senior management, they were very concerned about our turnover of staff all the time. And I was like, look, I don't see it as a problem. I think they felt it was a reflection that somehow the organisation wasn't a good place to be. But I was like, look, we don't pay great. You know, the wages in those days were union minimums, which, you know, aren't fantastic. Uh, I said, but how brilliant that we're putting all these people through the ship of the Sherman and then they're going on and doing lots of other things beyond us, but they'll always take their time with us forward. And, I, you know, we've had many people come through SC Productions, but they've all left having worked for SC Productions. They've all left with those experiences and those learnings that they've had from working with us. And if they choose to go on, and some of them have gone on to do amazing things. There was a kid... Uh, a woman who came to us years ago and um, she worked just casually on the, the weekends for the shows. She was a town planner of all things. And and then she lost her job in town planning. She messaged and was just like, oh, I'm a bit stuck. I don't really know what I want to do, but I'm going to go away and work on a ski season. And then when I come back, would you have some work for the summer? We were like, brilliant. She was such a great woman. And, you know, with that, she sort of almost ran away with the circus. She she struck up a relationship with a, a guy in a band. She went on tour with the Human League. I have no idea what she's doing now. I haven't seen her for years. But, you know, her whole life changed and we were instrumental to that change. Uh, another young woman badgered us for a, a placement years ago. Uh, she came and worked with us. She was fantastic. She worked for us for a couple of seasons. She did a university um, six months or something with us. And, you know, she's gone on to have an amazing career working for Live Nation. She's doing international tour bookings. And, you know, and it, it started with us. It started by her being part of my company. And, and I love that. I love, you know, that connectivity with people. I love setting people on this crazy journey in our event world. And I only wish I could do it for more people. But, you know, there's a reality to, you know, the economics of it. But um, for me, running a company, um, I mean, I'm still very much, I love to be out on the ground doing shows. So I'm not, you know, I'm not overly bothered about all that kind of HR and, you know, the sort of business side of it. It just sort of evolves. But I've learned, I've had to learn it, but I have people to support me in the organisation these days where we're, um, you know, doing well uh, to take those roles on. But I think you've just, again, you know, you just got to be gutsy about it. And, and obviously now I've got 
um, several other people in the company that can head projects up and uh, I've got a great team of junior staff underneath us supporting us. You know, we are able to do so much and, you know, we're very fortunate the way we are busy, you know, we, we've got some great clients and we get to do some great shows and, you know, every year is different. We, you know, we're working with the same people a lot of the time, but doing different things and, and, and different, you know, different shows. And, you know, the Taylor Swift show is very different to the Edge show and it will come with, uh, you know, very different, um, um, uh, you know, there's, I don't know, there's about a hundred of them on tour with her and things like that, you know, and, you know, so where you park all the buses and all the trucks and, you know, what the catering provisions are and, and how we squeeze this massive show into, you know, small backstages. Stadiums never have quite the glamour of a backstage. You know, they never quite have enough space because they're designed for two sports teams. And then suddenly, you know, rock and roll is all about wardrobe and makeup and, you know, production offices and, you know, um, workshop space and all these other things that you have that obviously a stadium isn't really designed for so so yeah so I think you know we're just very blessed and but for me it's always about imparting knowledge you know everyone who comes to work for me I teach them AutoCAD like that's you know and they're just like oh my god I've wanted some people like I've wanted to learn this for years and I'm like well I'm going to teach you how to do it you know because I believe that if we don't share the skills if we don't encourage that next generation why have I worked so hard to to make an industry work if there's no one to come behind us and take it over you know it's we've got to invest in in the people below us and and, and younger than us uh, not below us younger than us to to give them that energy i think the world's very confusing particularly these days and um you know inspire people is is harder i don't know everyone sort of thinks success comes easily and it and it doesn't and you know you have to work at that and you have to be top of your game you've got to you've got to really put the time in you've got to put the um the energy in you've got to really you know work and you know my staff laugh at me but i'm like you know i often do 2 3 hours work of a weekend if not a whole day you know because by the time i've supported them a week i haven't actually done the work i need to do myself so you know it's but if i don't support them and i don't encourage them they're not going to develop in their own ways you know so um so no, for me, it's all about that sort of bringing people through, bringing people on and, and having a company allows me to do that. I still do teaching. I'm in the Welsh College this week, teaching uh, three mornings this week, come in. You know, Jake goes back to his old university and he takes and is running some classes there and event modules because that live experience, that real experience, you can't beat it. It is literally... It is literally the, the thing that makes it tick, you know. Um, I've got a young woman staying in my house at the moment as a, as a lodger who is doing um, a placement on Aladdin, you know. Again, had various technical skills, didn't quite, drama school didn't quite work out for her. You know, she's uh, created, gone to a theatre, they've created an opportunity for her and she's just doing six, seven weeks on the Aladdin tour, just working through all the different departments. And she's just like sparkling with it. She's like, oh my God, this is so brilliant. And, you know, it's, we've got to share what we do to get people interested in it. So, you know, that's, that's very much, and I've been able to use my company really to, to, to drive that learning for so many people. I love that uh, when you talk about your, your company more so than the work you've done that you've talked plenty, but <laughs> you talk about your, your people, your community building 
helping other people building their build their skills. And um, you did mention that you try to support women specifically, and you do. Uh, you are part of uh, the network of women in events. Yeah, so that was, that was something my friend and I set up laying on the beach on holiday one year, just chomping on about. We have various publications in the UK and magazines and award shows, but they're, you know, to be fair, always the same people involved, the same names that come up, and they were always male, and it really peed us off. So we were lying on the beach chomping on about it this one day, and I was like, hold on a minute, why don't we just do about this and literally not that we want to hold an award ceremony not that we want to like create our own magazines but why don't we just gather together the women of our workforce in the uk under some umbrella where we can just celebrate ourselves we can offer training amongst ourselves we can um have just social gatherings with a glass of wine you know we can put things in publications one of uh, my colleague zach who i set it up with um one of the things she kind of identified was that, or an excuse that was being used was that, you know, when um, panels were being set up, the men didn't know what women to ask. So she was like, well, if you ask us, we can provide you with a whole load of women that could potentially be on your panel. So, so it was about trying to just be a bit more visible. Um, and both Zach and I have always been passionate about supporting women in the workplace. Um, Zach always tells a story about when she first met me in 1998 in a field um, doing a show. Um, she'd never seen another woman on a site, you know, an, a music site at that point. And she was just like, oh, my God, it's a woman and she's in charge, you know. And, uh, and I, you know, uh, I think, you know, that was just what it was. But she's right. There was very few of us. It was me and another girl in the UK. There was probably three of us that I knew by name that were women that worked in our sector. Whereas now that's changed, you know, there's a lot more visibility for women. Um, you know, we've been through NAWI, there's been quite a lot of work about um, women who come back to work having had children. Because again, you know, where's, where's the information in the world about that? Where, where are those dialogues happening? And, you know, we, it's a Facebook group. It's, you know, people do gather and have, have um, gatherings and stuff, but, and we have got some stuff into publications. So it's, it's been really fruitful, but also, you know, a man is not going to have a conversation about whether breastfeeding at work is a good idea. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, how we <laughs> uh, women with children, because actually it came up that uh, some of the trade shows, you know, babes in pushchairs aren't allowed to go to these trade shows. And, you know, some of the women as, as part of now, were like, well, how am I supposed to go to the trade show when I'm a new mum? I still want to connect with my industry, but I have to take my child in a pushchair. You know, where's the problem with the child in the pushchair? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and these are things that when you challenge the kind of infrastructure, they just go, oh, never thought about that. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, and I think as a sector, um, you know, facilitating women, family, women with families is important, you know, and brilliantly um, this week, uh, Lisa has come back to work for SE Productions. Uh, now, Lisa was my very first site assistant back in 2000 when I was had my two jobs, so she would help me. And she was, a, again, a student who nagged me. I said, okay, fine, take it on. Uh, Lisa worked with me. She then got married, had a family, sort of took just freelance work and sort of did th mainly theatre jobs. And then as her children have got older, I've sort of tried to lure her back into things. We've worked on some stuff together. And uh, the, towards the end of last year, I was like, mate, 
would you consider coming to work for SE Productions on a sort of permanent but part-time basis that would fit around your family life, work from home? Obviously, she doesn't live in Cardiff. Um, but, you know, and because what we actually need is someone who doesn't really want to go out on site all the time, who could sit and do, you know, quotes and prep and drawings. And because with these stadium shows, when they go on sale, you know, we might have done the drawings for them like 12 months in advance of, you know, p plotting them into each of the different venues they're going to use in the UK, you know, so they can do the ticket manifest, they can do all of that because the on sales are so far in advance of when the actual shows are. And, and that's what catches us out a little bit when I'm out in a field, I can't be doing all that as well. So anyway, I went to Lisa and made this offer. And, and how brilliant. It's 2023, 23, late, 23 years later from having worked with me uh, in those first couple of summers back in 2000 and 2001, she's coming on board as a permanent member of staff. I mean, for me, that's just amazing. And she's got two teenage children. You know, she's got a husband who works freelance in the theatre sector. So it's not straightforward. You know, we have to kind of work around it. But how brilliant you know that she's able to come and work for us now and and for me and I think that's when Nawi was able to sort of tackle and continues to tackle um you know they're running a great mentoring program now we've sort of handed the baton on to some other women now to run it but they're running a mentoring program you know connecting more senior women with junior women to create those opportunities women view things in a different way to men it's a fact like you know we're not trying to slag off men we're not trying to you know, take over from them, but we just want parity and we want to celebrate the women who work in our sector and support the women who work in our sector with the needs that they have to make that work happen, you know, and to facilitate it and think about things differently. We, we, we are capable of doing all of those things. Of course, of course we are. So with all that we've said so far, what would you say is your favorite thing about your job? My favorite thing about my job is that every day is different. And if you could change one thing, or you may be already trying to, but if you could change one thing about your job or the industry, what would you change? I think, oh my God, that's a hard question. Oh, I think we're in a sort of precipice where greed is a tricky thing in our sector, not so much the theatre sector, but particularly in the music world. You know, to put on a concert is super expensive. The ticket prices have become ridiculously expensive. The artists uh, and people around them, you know, obviously have their costs, but, you know, the whole thing is becoming extremely expensive. And I, I do worry that greed... Um, from lots of different people, not just one avenue, is sometimes a, a, a problem that might have a detrimental effect on our sector. You know, to listen to my uh, niece not long ago crying down the phone that she'd saved £120 for a ticket and when they went on sale, they were £160 and she didn't have that extra money. But that's also a huge amount of money. She's only 13 years old, you know. It's, it's, that's That's really harsh, you know, to see an artist that she's really fond of. So for me, I think somehow I'd just like to see the economics change around it all, but I guess that's not going to happen, but that would be my one thing. But I think our sector is, I can feel now 2023 20, felt like a real, the sector was really overcoming those challenges of COVID, you know, this year coming into 24, there feels like there's a lot of new work out there, you know, particularly in the theatre sector, the, the producers are back making work, you know, they're coming through those challenging times. So, uh, you know, I feel we're in a, uh, 
you know, a good a good place in terms of that. But the economics of the sector across the board are very challenging at the moment. So that would be my one thing I'd like to try and magically solve if I could. <laughs> money, money. Right now. If you could nominate someone for the for the podcast to have on the podcast we should talk to, you would really like to hear a conversation with or know something more about, who who that would that be? Do you have an idea? Uh, well, um, we'd have to ask her, and I don't know her personally, but um, uh, the woman who's the technical manager at the, the Royal Opera House has just been given a CBE, I think it is, or an OBE, which is one of the kind of um queen oh no it's a king now isn't it a king's honors you know the sort of uh, senior honors in the uk so i think um i think she would be i'll send you her details uh, as best i know them and i'll try and connect you with her but i think that would be amazing because that's someone in our sector from you know who's been a a, a lead female and a technical manager of a, a great institution who's been honored with this amazing award which you know Many, many people in our sector never come anywhere close to. A lot of actors receive those kind of OBs, CBs, and all that sort of thing. But um, uh, she's 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 done it from a backstage point of view. I think she'd be a great interview for you. Oh, I'd love to to talk to her for sure. As I've loved talking to you, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. No, thank you for your time. It's been wonderful. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.